Another episode of Power of Three podcast where three grumpy middle-aged Scotsmen sit around and talk about a children's programme as if it was really, really important. And in this episode, we're looking finally at the season 26 Blu-ray box set, which we should have talked about some time ago, but what with global pandemics and stuff, we've not yet uh, got around to doing it. So this time, we're looking at the three adventures that we haven't already discussed because we've already done survival in a previous episode. So we'll start off by saying hello to my two co-conspirators. Hello, Davey. Hello, Tom. Hope you're well. Hope everyone else is well. We're all surviving. And Kenny, are you well? I am, Tom. Thank you. And greetings and hello to lovely listeners wherever you may be. That was very nice. You're being very well behaved today, both of you. This is the doctor. Oh, he has many names, but in my reckoning, he is Merlin. You recognize my face then? No, not your aspect, but your manner that betrays you. Do you not ride the ship of time? Does it not deceive the senses being larger within than without? Merlin, cease these games and tell me truly, is this the time? Time for what? Thou does not know, truly. Do you think he'd be asking if he did, Tinhead? Why, the answer to Excalibur's call. The time of restitution. Time when Arthur rises to lead the Britons to war. Bartikin's Lake, of course. Can you walk? Can someone Aye. answer a simple question? What's wrong, Doctor? Can someone tell me what on earth is going on? Well, if my hunch is right, the Earth could be at the centre of a war that doesn't even belong to this dimension. Freeze! Davey, what can you tell us from TARDISFANDOM.COM about the first adventure, Battlefield? Okay then, right. Um... Battlefield was the first serial of season 26 of Doctor Who. Nicholas Courtney made his first appearance as Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart since 1983's The Five Doctors, and Bessie appeared for the first time since that serial as well. Following Courtney's death in 2011, this serial marked his last televised performance as Lethbridge-Stewart in the series proper. That same year, his character was written out of the series in The Wedding of River Song, out of respect for the actor's passing. However, um, oh yes, Lethbridge-Stewart as a character... Um, would return to the series approximately three years later, making a cameo in Cyberman form um, near the end of Death in Heaven in a brief scene paying tribute to the late Courtney. Um, what a lovely tribute that was. Anyway, um, and no mention of him appearing in Sarah Jane Adventures there, actually. Right, so anyway, this was also the first story to feature mm. units since the Seeds of Doom. Bar a brief appearance in The Five Doctors and also the last of the classic series, Unit would be featured once again in Aliens of London in 2005. Jean Marsh, who played Sarah Kingdom in the 1960s, returned in this story in a different role. The Seventh Doctor's costume was also modified as of this story to coincide with his darkening personality. He replaced his French grey jacket and red banded hat with dark brown equivalents. The dark brown equivalents, 1960s rock band. Interestingly, Battlefield introduced the idea that the Doctor was the man behind the myth of the wizard Merlin at some point in his life. Since this ended up being one of the final stories of the classic series, the full details behind this mysterious plotline were never worked out in television and instead interpreted differently across the Doctor Who expanded universe as multiple writers tried their hands at explaining these untold events. 
Tom, what did you think of Battlefield then? Well, I'm happy to tell you, but see, before we go on, I feel I should mention that we're recording this episode on the 26th of March 2020, which is 15 years to the day since the Doctor returned to our screens with Rose. And of course, there's a, which is presumably why the, there's a mass viewing of Rose tonight at seven o'clock. Yes, indeed. And for, and for those of a political bent, um, I noticed Ed Stradling uh, uh, tweeting today uh, through TV Museum that at the end of that first episode, there was a sad announcement that James Callaghan, uh, the last Labour right. Prime Minister uh, at that point, had died. And that's how the first episode ended. Let me, let me talk about Battlefield. Now, as I've mentioned before, I'm coming to this season brand new. Um, I didn't see it when it was first broadcast uh, because I deliberately chose not to watch it because I thought it was terrible at the time. I'd, I'd managed to get all the way through season 25 and was not appreciative of the experience. And so when it returned uh, for season 26, I didn't bother watching it. Um, so I'm looking at this with fre very fresh eyes and an open mind because you guys have told me that season 26 is great. And, and let me draw your attention. You should have caveated that. There's more. Yes. Well, you should have. Let me draw your attention to an article in The Guardian published 19th of February this year called The Diehards of Doom, Why Doctor Who is the Show Fans Love to Hate. And it says, um, what has happened to the magic of Doctor Who? That was the question posed in full caps by the president of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society in its magazine TARDIS. The year was 1977 and the story under scrutiny was The Deadly Assassin. Today, this Manchurian candidate riffing conspiracy thriller is regarded as one of Doctor Who's all-time greats from the height of Tom Baker's stripy scarf imperial phase. But you'd never have guessed that from Jan Vincent Rudsky's hatchet job, which railed against its tautological title and the rewriting of Whovian lore. It then goes on to talk about uh, when Sylvester McCoy debuted in the do as the Doctor in 1987, the Doctor Who Appreciation Society's top dog penned a damning op-ed for the Daily Mail in which he concluded that the show was slowly but surely being killed. Shortly afterwards, a rare peace broke out with fans agreeing that McCoy's later adventures were the finest the show had produced in years. Obviously, that's when the BBC cancelled it. Now... There's such a thing as historical revision and then there's revision of historical revisionism um, because Battlefield is a big pile of pants. And if it was judged to be so at the time, then it's that judgment really hasn't changed. Nobody is good in this. Even Nicholas Courtney fails to shine in this. McCoy is particularly bad. Ace is no worse than she usually is, which is really, really bad. Uh, and 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 most of the supporting actors are just appalling. The new brigadier, I mean, you know, this woman who's the new brigadier, and and she's a warrior. You know, that's why she strikes up this relationship with one of the knights of the round table because they're both warriors and they understand the the laws of battlefield. And at the end, the new brigadier goes on a girly night out in Bessie. <laughs> With the only other three members of the cast that are female, it 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 just made me want to pull my hair out, and I just thought I dodged a bullet back in nineteen eighty nine. 
it's it's funny you say that because um you know i remember i remember the palpable excitement i was feeling in 1989 when the series started um only eight months after the great show in the galaxy had finished and i remember really enjoying the first episode really really exciting a lot of stuff getting set up you know some nice things you know with the little show sort of reference and all that but by the end of episode four i could not press stop on my video recorder quick enough i just thought it was a at the time, I, I, re- I just thought it was so corny, so over the top, so cheesy. I cringed so many times. One of the, one of the bonus features on the, the Blu-ray box set is the writer's room feature. And in, in that, Ben Aranovich admits himself that it's, it's very overcomplicated. There's far too many characters. It's, you know, it's very untidy. And it's, it's, it's nice that, <laughs> that he can say so. But I, I really, I was, a bit, I was very nonplussed by Battlefield at the time. I did. I did think it was lovely at one point that Nicholas Courtney and Jean Marsh were in the same scene together for the first time since Dalek Masterplan. Indeed, I'll put some historical context into this one, as at the time there was a, a huge degree of expectation after Ben Aronovich and Alex, which everybody loved, even the fan cynics of the time thought it was great. I look forward to Tom watching that one, um, and this started out as a three-parter called Nightfall with a K. And this was got then to Andrew Cartmel's attention to get the commission to write Remembrance. So that may explain why there's quite a lot of um, additional pauses and uh, sort of jumping out and ambushing of Jeeps and Land Rovers and whatever. Right. Um, but, but yes, the, and of course, the big thing prior to this was everybody thought that the brig was coming back to be killed off. Of course, the casting of Gene Marsh added to that because everybody was thinking, here's JNT going for a little bit of history repeating itself by oh, having great. Gene Marsh kill Nicholas Courtney's character once again. So I remember those rumours, yeah. So it's quite a, yeah. Yeah, it was quite it's an interesting one. I was just going to say, at the time, I actually missed episode three in original broadcast because I was at Hamden Park, not far from where you both are today, um, yep. watching Aberdeen beat Celtic 1-0 in the Skull Cup semi-final with a superb left-footed goal from Ian Cameron. <laughs> and Aberdeen right. then went on to win the final, which was great. I mean, I made a list of, of you know, I made a, a kind of notes when I was watching this, and I wanted to say something really positive about this. And it's actually very difficult. You know, it was lovely seeing um, James Ellis out of Zed Cars back doing an English accent. But, you know, and it was lovely to see Bessie there, um, even, even Bessie with the you know, the, the hyperdrive. But, but there was some really, really bad dialogue. And, and the fight scenes are just truly appalling. I mean, I know that because it's going out, you know, and families are watching it, there can't be any true violence. But there's one scene where Anselin ambushes a knight and they, they, they seem to fight, but their swords don't even touch. There's not a single clash of swords. And yet Anselin wins and the other guy runs away unharmed. I mean, really, I mean, this is, it's just, it's pantomime stuff. It really is. I think you can blame the wonderfully named stunt arranger Alf Joint for the poor night battles. Alf Joint, there's a, there's a joke there somewhere. It's funny because when I, I, this is the only story that I, that I haven't rewatched since buying the Blu-ray box set. 
because my, my memory of it for years, even though I've watched it quite a few times after it was on, my memory of it for years was that I really didn't like it at all. But when I did my whole big consecutive watch through of the whole programme, when I got to Battlefield, I mean, when would that have been run about 2011, 2012, whenever? Um, I actually, when I watched it in context again, part of the whole series, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Just a massive surprise to myself. I found it a lot more fun. Maybe when I was 16, I was taking it a little bit too seriously. I don't know. But I, I didn't watch it again because I wasn't sure that I could stand to have my, you know, another opinion on it change, you know what I mean? I, I would just like to know what the plot is anyway. I mean, the, the, the plot is so, uh, you know, there, there's no driving narrative in it at all. And I've written in my notes, episode four, all sorts of terrible. The Doctor and Ace go through the veil to get to Morgane. Her son and the brig just drive there. What, what, what's, the, what, what's the point of having some kind of... Uh, extra dimensional vortex portal uh, when you can actually just go down the M1 to get there just as quickly. It's just nonsense. No, I mean, that's fair. I mean, one thing I think, one sort of school, I mean, I'm a big fan of Andrew Cartmel. I've said this many times, a big fan of the, 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 the freshness of thinking that he brought to the programme. But I think it's safe to say that he's, he's maybe not the tidiest of, of script editors. There's quite, there's quite a few sort of stories in this series where there's maybe an overabundance of of ideas and, and almost in the rush to get them on the page, they haven't thought them through or, you know, come up with a proper linear narrative. There was so many, there was a lot of, I mean, when season 26 was in production, that was around about the time that I first started reading the, the fanzine DWB and became aware of organised fandom and was, you know, at the time was quite surprised to learn that a lot of Doctor Who fans didn't really like Doctor Who. But the thing I remember about DWB during 1989, um, I don't know if Kenny will remember this as well. There was an awful lot of talk that some of the, the Curse of Benedict was would go out as five episodes because there was so much extra material. And I think Battlefield maybe has maybe feels a little bit like it was maybe overwritten, but then cut to ribbons in the in the editing process. You know, it, it's very uneven. Battlefield, lots of great ideas. Oh, all right, there's there's lots of ideas, <laughs> but perhaps they don't quite fulfil their potential. You know, I did love I did love the Merlin thing at the time. I thought that was great. You know, I really did. Yeah, I, it would have been interesting to see some kind of episode where he was actually back in the, the middle of the first century with King Arthur, but it never happened. So, what what in in any of the sequel books and Big Finish audios? What what has addressed that issue? There's a character called Muldwitch pops up in one of the new adventures. Uh, who it's trans? That's in an ep- one called oh god it's the one where it's ace and benny go off and do their own thing and it was adapted by big finish it was one of the early ones is it birthright thank you birthright yep where there's a a character called mold which introduced and it turns out in the 50th new adventure uh happy endings that it is actually the the merlin incarnation of the doctor with red hair oh right okay interesting At the season when the ice floods swamped the pasture lands, we herded the mammoths sunwards to find new grazing. Tricky things, mammoths. The wise men cast bones to make hunting magic and spoke with the voice of the burning one. Is this a race moment? No, these are his own experiences. Now the wild world is lost in a desert of smoke and straight lines. There is smoke thick but light will return. Light will return. 
And next, Ghostlight was the second serial of season 26 of Doctor Who. Although two stories followed its broadcast, it was the last story of the classic series to be produced and the last to feature significant recording at BBC Television Centre. So, Kenny, do you want to tell us what you think about Ghostlight? I, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Ghostlight, I must admit. Um, I think it's one of those ones where it's not straightforward viewing and it was possibly the first possibly the first story since Warriors Gate to be a deal generation where you watch it again and again and you take more from it each time. Very nice uh, subtle plays on evolution and uh, the whole and all of Darwinism and things like that with some interesting characters you've got a villain who's evolving and we get to see him in four different states. We've got there's lots um, some wonderful jokes in there, like the cream of Scotland Yard when Inspector Mackenzie gets turned into soup. And uh, and of course, a nice little reference to Douglas Adams as well with who says Earthmen never invite their ancestors round to dinner. So there's quite a lot um, going on in that on an extra level above just the casual TV viewer. But unfortunately, a huge part of Doctor Who's appeal is that it has to appeal to the casual TV viewer. And because this is, as I said, one that seems to have been designed for the video generation, that in its general public who are ultimately the ones whose opinions matter most when it comes to viewing figures. I've always really enjoyed it. I think it's a great cast. I think um, particularly Ian Hogg as Josiah Samuel Smith is wonderful. Um, who absolutely loves the parts, particularly when we get to see the extras as he talks about it. And one of my favourite things was getting the extended edit of Ghostlight. As we heard for years, this was a story that had suffered from cuts galore. So being able to have the chance to watch this version, uh, obviously assembled from different sources, so it's not a broadcast quality because there's obviously time codes and so on been blurred out for VHS copies from which they've assembled it. But I still really quite like it. I think it's a, a good subtle performance from Coy, very restrained uh, until one moment later on when he's telling Light to go away. Um, and I think Sophie's very good in this one as well. David, what do you think? As Kenny says, it's, it's not the, the clearest one. I remember being quite baffled by it on the first broadcast. I, I really enjoyed the atmosphere of it, though. It was very, the, the sets and stuff, the, the old Gabriel Chase, the everything for the house, the, the haunted house, is terrific. And there's a, I think Sylvester is brilliant in it. I really do. There's, um, Kenny mentioned there that the, the, the Douglas Adams quote, there's also a line when he, when the doctor references the Beatles, which I really like, is when he says, you know, it's been a hard day's night, um, which, I, which I really like. But um, there's also a scene, there's a brilliant scene that um, was responsible for me getting my name in Doctor Who magazine for the first time. <laughs> they, did, they did a big feature. I think we're in about 96, 97 sort of time when they um they said, you know, 50 moments, you know, you're watching the greatest television series ever made. And highlighted clips, you know, highlighted scenes from various stories. And they invited readers to sort of contribute, send in their own favourites. And the one that I, I wrote and mentioned a couple, but the one that, that I sort of got quoted on was the scene when the Doctor and Ace are talking about, you know, the universe of their own fears. And the Doctor talks about how he hates, you know, bus stations and, and unrequited love and burnt toast and all that. And I think it's brilliant. I think you know he's he's ah oh, you know well, you know it's one of the one of the, the things that we disagree on. Obviously, uh, we absolutely do. But um, I think I think he's wonderful. That scene still gives me chills. And um, it was I was really really chuffed when when you know my highlighted my 
highlighting all of it was mentioned got got me into the magazine. It's a good story. There's some real what I like about it is it feels in some ways like a bit of a Hinchcliffe Robert Holmes sort of throwback because there's some real horror in episode three. You know when um when another Zed Cars cast member who's in this one gets um gets turned into you know there's that the cream of Scotland Yard joke. The bit when the, the the minister the vicar guy ends up in the glass case with a banana. I mean that's um that's terrifying. I remember at the time being really quite unsettled by that. So it's very atmospheric. But again, it suffers from the time slot. If it had been, even if maybe the episodes had been 30 minutes long instead of 25 minutes, it might have made a bit more sense. I kind of like this, uh, certainly more than Battlefield, but I like, I like Chickenpox more than Battlefield. I, I like Ghostlight. I thought there were some really interesting ideas in it. Like you say, it was reminiscent a little bit of, of Hinchcliffe-era stuff. I like the idea of Nimrod the butler being a Neanderthal who, who wasn't just who was actually from Ice Age times, um, and even remembered, uh, you know, hunting in the in the pastures, uh, hunting for mammoth. And I just thought that was a really nice idea. I like the whole idea, as, as Kenny was saying about the evolutionary aspects of it. I thought that was um, really clever. I I I disagree with Kenny. I, I think. Sophie Aldred is just as bad in this as she's ever been. When when she's trying to evoke sympathy for her trauma that she experienced as a 13-year-old girl breaking into this house in the present day and setting fire to it, it just didn't work for me at all. I just thought, no, nah, I don't believe you. Just, just she was, she was, she was hopeless. However, she didn't ruin the whole show. But you know, it's a bit messy towards the end. It turns out. There's a plot to assassinate Queen Victoria. And it is foiled because someone decides to change his plus one on the invitation. <laughs> now, okay, but if you're going to assassinate the Queen, then I don't you have to depend on getting an invite to a ball, do you? I mean, it, that, that was just nonsense. I didn't understand why they bothered putting that in because the rest of it is pretty good. Um, I didn't understand the whole purpose of control and light, and I, I'm 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 like you were in nineteen eighty nine, Davy. I at the end of this, I thought I quite enjoyed that, but I didn't understand any of it, and it certainly yeah. wouldn't have appealed to me as a non Who fan. I think control and light were meant to be balance and counterbalance. Yeah, but how does that work out? Because she wasn't darkness. On the Blu-ray box set, Mark Platt talks about how, you know, it's she's she's a control in the sense of a, a scientific experiment. You know, when you have something, you have the, the control thing, which isn't subjected to the same conditions as everything else, you know. And at the time, I think we all thought control meant she was in charge, <laughs> rather than realising that, you know, we maybe need a, doc, a line from the doctor to sort of clarify that, you know, to clarify that she was the she was the the specimen that wouldn't be affected by by evolution or whatever. It was one of these things. Once once I realised that, I could you know a couple of years after the event, it made I kind of it was a sort of ah oh, the entire story was sort of made sense as a result sort of moment. It's it's just again like I say, cartmel, good ideas, man, but but very untidy. I'll maybe have a look at the the extended edition on the Blu-ray at some point because I've quite I mean I, I was intrigued enough to want to to see a longer version of it. Sophie's dress is really nice. You know, if you're a Doctor Who fan of a certain age, you'll thought, oh, she looks pretty, really, really pretty in that, in that nice white dress. The costumes are good. That's what the BBC does very well. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, before you move on, uh-huh. where did King Alfred's soldiers cook their cakes? King Alfred? Yeah. 
King Alfred. Is he, is he in Ghostlight? <laughs> no. I don't know. Where did King Alfred's soldiers cook their cakes? At Warrior's Great. Get out now. I resign. So do I. Oh, cool. The power of one continues. <laughs> I beg your pardon, I didn't hear you. Possibly not. But what can I do for you, Doctor? I'd like to know the answer. I'm afraid I don't understand. Afraid, yes, but of what? The Viking inscriptions? The curse? Uh, Doctor, there are some questions better left unanswered. That may be so. But it's too late, isn't it? Someone's already translated the inscriptions. It's probably all nonsense. Some records that my grandfather made when he was Vicar of St. Jude's at the end of the last century. He translated the Viking inscriptions. I wish to heavens he never had. But Kenny, tell us about the Curse of Fenric. The Curse of Fenric was the third serial of season 26 of Doctor Who. It revealed that the events of Ace's arrival in the seventh Doctor's life and the uncanny chance of their secondary fall during Silver Nemesis using proper time travel were all part of an evil entity's plan to release itself and gain revenge on the Doctor from imprisoning it in its flask. The chessboard from Silver Nemesis was also a hint. The Doctor had initially beaten Fenric by using an unsolvable chess problem. This story revealed that the Seventh Doctor's deceitful qualities much more than he had demonstrated them in earlier adventures and the repercussions his manipulative schemes had on people, specifically when he did what he thought was best for their without their consent, but his actions damaged them. On the 23rd of November 2019, a special edition of this story was shown at BFI Southbank, along with a question and answer session with Sophie Aldred and script editor Andrew Cartmel. Davey, what did you think about The Curse of Fenric? I, I blooming love The Curse of Fenric. Tom, thanks for asking. Before, a good few months before it was transmitted, the, there was a behind-the-scenes feature on it on, on, a, on a children's BBC programme called Take Two. So that was my anticipation levels were very, very high. Um, and again, admittedly, at the time, bits of it were a bit messy and untidy. But when the early February 1991, they released an extended cut of it on VHS, which made it all the more clearer. And it really cemented it for me as definitely my favourite story of, um, of that series. I, I love the idea of the, you know, the Doctor as the, as the cosmic chess player on a thousand boards. It was so exciting with the call back to Silver Nemesis. Um, it was nice to have that sort of comic book style continuity you know, in Doctor Who, really for the first time in quite a while. I thought Cell was great. Again, I remember at the time really not being too fond of the fact that, um, I think I said this before when we talked about survival, not being too fond of the fact that Ace got so much attention. Kind of felt it was getting in the way of the story a little bit. Um, but I liked, you know, I liked the Second World War stuff. I remember a friend of mine being convinced that it wasn't actually set during the Second World War because some of the guns that they were using <laughs> um, apparently weren't, you know, in use until a few years after the war. But I remember sort of thinking, what? <laughs> never really enjoyed that. But all the all the vampire stuff was brilliant. Nicholas Parsons was brilliant. All the stuff in the church was great. The scene when the when the doctor sort of is, you know, using his faith to keep the, the hemovores back and you realise that he's actually saying the names under his breath of all, all the companions from throughout the series was just that was wonderful. 
And um, I, and frankly, let's be honest, who didn't love seeing Sophie in her stockings and suspenders? Oh, David, behave yourself. Dreadful <laughs> sexist man. <laughs> Says Kenny. So when the doctor was reciting the names of previous companions, did he mention Katrina? You know what? I'm not sure. I need to go and have a look. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> this extended version you, you, you both spoke about, is it featured as one of the extras on this box set? Yes. It's, I mean, it's the... Yes. There's, there's actually... Dave, sorry. Yeah, I was, gonna, no, I was just going to say there's, there's the three versions of it. There's the, the transmitted version. There's the sort of extended special edition version that they put out on DVD in the noughties. And then there's the, um, there's the VHS version. I prefer the, VH, the VHS version. The, the special edition one, um, I, didn't, I don't really have the patience to watch you know, a feature-length Doctor Who story. I prefer them with the episodic chunks. But the VHS one, for me, is, is it fills in a lot of detail. Um, it lets it breathe a little bit more. It, it doesn't feel as choppy. And the final episode is the TV version does. So yeah, I that's the VHS version is the one to go for. I still occasionally refer to it as the Wolves of Fenwick, because that was the working title by which that's it was referred great. to in Take Two mentioned earlier, which was quite fascinating. Getting an insight into you know, seeing you know something that was going to be on our screens in the autumn, you know, getting a good proper look. We could see Ace and the Doctor and Captain Soren up against the wall, being threatened by a firing squad. Uh, we could see some uh, women's heads dissolving. So, yes, there was quite a lot of you know, excitement around this one. In fact, we're getting to see it when we're talking four or five months ahead of broadcast, which obviously you never get really these days. You might get the odd bit of footage of people running about, but never anything with dialogue. So, yes, this was this was quite an exciting one at the time. Um, and I, I still really like Curse of Henry. I, I don't mind the movie version, although I still think they should have put it into fake film rather than keeping the video look, which would have made it a little bit more moody. But they've done a good job where they've pulled down the lighting to make it look darker, and they've done a good job in the grade. Um, and it's definitely one of the, the adventures that set up a hell of a lot that was to come with the new adventures in particular, with the Doctor's manipulations and paying the price for them as well. That's right. There's also a, a really long, a really good, quite long extended arc through the, the Seventh Doctor Big Finish stories that um that follow on from Fenric as well. But they're they're yeah definitely worth sort of investing in. And I, you know something that's just that I've just remembered as we talk about it is um during Fenric when they have the scene when the Doctor talk, you know when Fenric makes reference to the the, the chess set Lady Painfort study. I remember my sister Alison sort of <laughs> we were watching it and Alison sort of went. Isn't there a chess set in the towns of Wang Chiang? And we were like, oh. So Alison's, my, my sister's, you know, myth-busting theory is that um, Magnus Greel had a chessboard because he was one of the wolves of Fenric. <laughs> and there, there ain't nothing to contradict it. So, you know, there we are. That's, that's what I'm going to write my short trip about one day anyway. Well, I haven't seen it, I'm afraid. So when I come to watch it, would you, would you recommend, which version would you recommend a first watch on? Extended VHS. Yes. The VHS. Yeah. Yeah. Because you get the episodic experience and it gives you know it's it gives you the full the full flavour. You know. And, and there's nothing in the feature length version that's not in the VHS version. Yes, there's extra scenes in there and some newer updated effects as well. When I watched the special edition, the feature length version not that long ago, um I didn't really I couldn't really pick out anything that I noticed that was too different. Some of the, the scene orders are different. It's your own preference, but I mean Episodically, is how I prefer it. You know what I mean? And there's no, there's no cliffhangers in it. So maybe watch both and see what you think. If you can stand to watch both. Well, look, given the fact that we've already looked at survival, 
what are your conclusions about, well, for, uh, two things. What are your views on season 26 of itself and what are your conclusions about this particular Blu-ray presentation of it? I, I think um, season 26 gets stronger as it goes along. I think you start, I mean, there's, at the time JNT had a, he liked to have a traditional story, which was Battlefield Mall, um, and he just he came up with all these terms for them. But I think it's a good mix of storytelling and styles. You've got, if you like run around Hokum and explosions going off, there's Battlefield for you. Something a bit more cerebral, then you've got Ghostlight. If you want something that's uh, got a bit more emotional content, then you've got The Curse of Fenric. And if you like people dressed up as big cats with uh, allegories of survival of the fittest, then you've got Survival. I like it, you know, I have a residual fondness, but I think I've said in the past before that my my sort of appreciation of the Seventh Doctor era sort of decreased as it went along. I wasn't too fond, of, frankly, I wasn't too convinced of the, the, the darkening of the Doctor. You know, I kind of, I prefer them when he's the sort of twinkly uncle that Sylvester does very well rather than the, you know, the, the brooding, because quite often, you know, he mutters and he can't make out what he's saying. It's, yeah, it's S26, as, as I've said already, it's full of great ideas and just the discipline and getting them on the page is maybe and onto the screen is maybe a bit lacking. I think um, it looks brilliant, still holds up really well. You can tell that they didn't have a lot of money and a lot of time they were making it with the seat of their pants, but you can also tell that they were trying their very best. And, and you know, I think that's always admirable. Um, are we going to talk about any more of the bonus features? Uh, Kenny, you seem to have a better grasp on what the bonus features are. Yes, there's uh, plenty of new ones. There's an all new making of the Curse of Fenric documentary, which is fantastic. Um, obviously, we've got the usual... Um, behind the sofa, which are to the goggle box, I still think they called it goggle docks. Um, we get uh, the, the original um, take two footage for Curse of Fenric. Obviously, there's uh, extended versions of every single story apart from survival. Um, a good insight with uh, the wonderful Dr. Matthew Sweet talking to Sophie Aldred. There's a fantastic mix of, of things in here to get, definitely. And there's so many to list, you know, original trailers and unbroadcast trailers. And just, yeah, I think it's. Uh, a really, really good package, as ever, from the restoration team, or they're not the restoration team anymore, a good package from the team. Yeah, they, I really, really enjoyed the Sophie Aldred interview. It was really interesting sort of hearing what she had to say about when she, she joined the programme and how she went along to a convention before she was announced and and um, managed to piss people off. And her first experiences in the studio, it was really, really good. But um, I also loved hearing how that um, she used to go out with Tim Booth, who was the singer in James, or is the singer in James. That was fantastic. It was like you know, a nice bit of um, pop music, Doctor Who crossover gossip. It was tremendous. No, I didn't know that. I remember seeing her at a convention when she mentioned she was at university with them, but I didn't. You know, it was it was really really cool. But the the other thing I really liked was the um, I mean, like I said this already, was the writers' room feature. They're they're fast becoming my my favourites. It's really interesting seeing everyone sort of talk about you know their memories of doing it. In, and, you know, what they think about it now. I mean, Mark Platt is lovely. What a nice guy. You know, really a big fan of Mark Platt. And um, and it's nice to hear what Rona Monroe, who went on to, you know, to bigger and better things, and obviously wrote oh, that really good story for PCAP's last series. It was nice to sort of her, see her sort of talking about it because I understand she wasn't too keen on talking about Doctor Who for a while. So, um, yeah, I'm all about the writers room, me. Yeah, definitely. Good. Well, I think we've said all that has to be said about the uh, 26th season. Just one last question. All four stories, what's the, what's your favourite one? Fenric. Ghostlight. Ghostlight. The one that I hate the least is probably Ghostlight. Well, wait, wait until you see Fenric and let us know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I can't make a judgement yet. 
Right, that's us for this episode. Um, so we will sign off now. Can I just remind everyone to please stay safe, keep the pressure off the NHS, and the best way of doing that is to stay at home and listen to this podcast and the 19 episodes that we've recorded up until now, all of which are archived at our website, powerof3pod.com. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me, but um, I'll, I'll quickly say as well, have a look at the website because we've, we've all written a little biog about how we got into Doctor Who and stuff and we've written a few other bits and bobs. We're hopefully going to add, add some more to keep ourselves busy over the next few weeks. But yeah, look after yourselves, everyone, and mind how you go. And while those two are popping off in Bessie, I'll make supper. <laughs>